party of the summer is over. Your boy BC and SK checking in. It's the State of Combat Podcast Instant Analysis Edition on CBS Sports. Just minutes removed from the conclusion of SummerSlam 2019 from Toronto. The Brian Campbell, the voice that you hear. The question is, where am I right now set to record this podcast? Am I inside the same dirty bed sheets that we did this same show from one year ago today? Or are my, I don't know, outlooks and opinions a bit more rosy? We will find out in seconds. Fired up to hit you up with this performance enhancing audio as long as we can last here late at night let me bring in my co-host silver king no need to do the lengthy introductions adam silverstein let's chop this thing up hey now bc the black light is out i am inspecting the bed sheets i'm seeing how dirty they are in your uh, guest room office wherever in the basement of the campbell residence uh, in in Connecticut. Yes, I was not there. Neither were you in Toronto. You're checking in from South Florida. We watched it on the WWE Network like mostly everyone else. The question is here, Adam, really the same question that got this, I don't want to say this show, that got me into a lot of hot water on this show one year ago inside those same dirty Brooklyn bedsheets. In a, Mohan- in a Manhattan boutique hotel was this. And it's it's a legitimate question to ask. For the second biggest pay-per-view of the year, for the biggest wrestling promotion on earth, did this show, SummerSlam, in the year of our Lord 2019, deliver a justifiable amount of entertainment for what was a somewhat compact four and a half hours? We didn't have a WrestleMania repeat marathon here. Did this live up to the expectations 32 years into this of what a SummerSlam should be? Last year, you know what happened. They laid an egg. It didn't. It wasn't that the show was awful. It was that it was vanilla. It was just good enough. And I argued, in light of where wrestling is, in light of how good that NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4 card was the night before one year ago. That's just unacceptable. Now we fast forward to right now, Adam. Now is the time. And you know what? I'm going to start off by saying something good. It was a pretty damn good main event. That's how you send home people happy. Seth Rollins, Brock Lesnar. That is what we are asking for. From SummerSlam, just like in 2017 in that fatal four-way that Nick Costos and I popped so big for. Just like in 2016 even, that Brock Lesnar-Randy Orton match. Not a lot of people love that, but it was something to talk about with the, bl- with the blood in the ring and the crazy ending. They gave us something to go home about this year. But Adam, meet the new boss. Same as the old boss. I'm not going to come out here and drop a big doogie on this show because it was hit or miss, which implies there were some hits. But here's where you get to sit on the couch, not your new couch behind you in your new home that you often complain about that I'm checking out over your shoulder on the Skype shot. But the psychology couch, the, the shrink here, 
The 2019 SummerSlam card, I'm not going to drop a Silver King and say it was meh. But you know what it was? It was too safe. It would have been a great backlash card. It would have been a fine Extreme Rules card. In 2019, given the pro wrestling climate, given how amazing NXT TakeOver Toronto was just 24 hours ago, given the Fox launch with SmackDown in two months, given AEW on the horizon, if I had paid thousands as a fan to go to this weekend, and this was the pinnacle, the mountaintop point, again, outside of Rollins-Lesnar, I leave going, you know what? The worst thing in the end kind of happened. They did not put their best foot forward. And if anyone listening out there right now, and I'm going to give you in five seconds a chance to potentially dispute that, not really sure where your head's at, Adam, but the best piece of evidence I can say to that is you want to leave a pay-per-view going, either I know exactly what's coming next and I can't wait for Monday night, or I can't wait to find out what's coming next. And they didn't even have the... Is it balls I'm looking for? Is it good decency I'm looking for to cash in on what the hell's going on with Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan? They make the first quarter of the show about that and just leave that hanging out there? That's a major part of my argument here, Adam. So in the end, SummerSlam 2019 just didn't get it done. So is there a question for me? That's a statement. Okay. Well, here's the thing. So there's two different ways to address it. Were you entertained and did it deliver, right? I was entertained. I think there were moments every hour during the show. And by the way, let's give them a little bit of credit. It was three and a half hours. It wasn't four. It wasn't five. We've seen these go 1130, 12 o'clock at night, 1030. We were done. And it was really nice to have that. Even, even with a two hour kickoff show, it's really just one hour of matches. They added a couple matches. They were fine. And we basically got out of there, like I said, in three and a half hours for the main card. So was I entertained every hour I watched? Yes, I was. There were things that happened that were entertaining. At the same time, can I say it was great? Can I say that that was a top-notch pay-per-view? It was something that I expect at the level of a SummerSlam? No, it absolutely was not. And it goes back to really what we said on our preview show and what I said. Maybe you disagreed with me. The build was lackluster. So my expectations weren't even that high. So did it meet my expectations? Yeah, because my expectations weren't high to begin with. But other than that, you can't have, and we'll get into the details match by match here, you cannot have a double countout for the WWE Championship in a match that you built better than any match on the entire card. Yes, they delivered in the main event and made up for it. Yes, the Fiend and Bray Wyatt were awesome. We'll get to that. And the women's matches as a whole we're good, maybe a little bit better than you even expected, BC. But for your second biggest pay-per-view of the year, you need to deliver a card that is memorable for one reason or another. And honestly, the only memorable thing coming out of Sunday night truly was The Fiend. The Fiend, absolutely. And even as good as I love the main event, and again, like you said, we're going to talk about it, still was very safe. It was still the safest option out there. So... You said there you had low expectations coming in. I had extra high expectations because the build wasn't great. Because they sort of built this 
somewhat soft and lackluster foundation where I thought this is a perfect timing to come over the top and win everybody over. You mix that with where we are in the climate and the schedule, the competition abound around us. I expected so much more. And the problem is, Adam, anytime somebody swings and misses and doesn't fully connect, you can still respect what the attempt, right? You can still expect what they tried to do. This is just another case of just not going for it. How the hell could you possibly explain when we have Eric Rowan running in on Buddy Murphy in the pre-show, great storyline continuity, attacking Buddy to get a DQ finish in the Apollo Crews match, showing you, okay, we may not be getting a Roman Reigns-Daniel Bryan match tonight. And by the way, that could be potentially fine, like we said last week, if it kicks off a long six, nine-month feud that takes us to Mania next year. But we're going to get something, right? We got nothing. We got nothing the rest of the way. So I don't want to sit here and always be the extreme booker. And when you and I are be developing this joke where if BC is going to book the territory, somebody's going to be cheating on somebody's wife. But the reason why I come up with those scenarios is, can we go next level? Can we do something a little bit different? So when you and I are trading DMs before that main event going, oh, my God, this is going to really end with Lesnar, you know, Rollins. What do they have for us here? My initial thought is to shake up and roll that dice. No, not shake it up, meaning let's have Seth bang Sable, all right, or, or Sonny and find out that Brett did not bang Sonny and, and still hates us. No, none of that. All I'm saying is, hey, maybe we find out after that match, maybe Rollins wins and walks off into the sunset, and then we go backstage. And what's Roman doing? He's looking over the security footage, new angles they found. Oh, my God, that looks like Seth Rollins. You know what that does for you, Adam? You leave SummerSlam going, Rollins just won a badass match. And he might be secretly turning heel on Roman. And even if on Raw, you don't cash that in. Even if, again, it's a, oh, that looked like Rollins, but it was somebody else. Or we find out in the end it's Daniel Bryan dressed as Rollins. I'm just saying it's something where you're leaving Sunday night going, not only did they get me on Sunday night, now I got to find out what happens on Monday And why are we constantly in this spot when we're talking about the money feuds, the big ones, feeling like we can do something extra, something better? Adam, we've had these debates in the past. I'm not going to sit here specifically, at least not in this rant. Maybe two minutes from now I will. But at least not in this rant. I'm not going to say, why can't Vince and WWE proper be more like NXT? I'm not going to tell you why can't Sunday night be more like AEW. Why can't it be more like G1? You know what I'm saying? What I'm asking Be more like SummerSlam. Be more like what you used to do and used to be. This Sunday night, I can't figure out whether last year was worse than this year or this year was worse or what I'm more mad at. But they're lucky Lesnar-Rollins was great, borderline great, pretty damn great, pretty damn good. So I'm not coming here and just defecating on everything. (laughs) Well, Brian, so if you want to get a tad inside baseball, and we won't do it too much, But there have been reports this month, I would say, six weeks leading into the show, that SummerSlam was going to be a demarcation. It was going to be a reset, and they were going to start new storylines moving into the upcoming Clash of Champions and Hell in a Cell and and Fox. And by the way, I did just find out, not that this wasn't out there, but I realized that Hell in a Cell is actually two days after SmackDown debuts on Fox. SmackDown on Fox is the go-home show. To Hell in a Cell, which is very interesting and very strange. Um, but nevertheless, BC, so I, I kind of want to give them a little bit of a break because you have to remember 
a month ago, coming out of WrestleMania even, like three, four weeks after that, we were defecating all over the product. It was really bad, like all-time low ratings, no interest. Things have gotten better. If you told me that we were going to get this pay-per-view two months ago when we just didn't understand what was happening to WWE, I would say, oh, okay, they, they would have righted the ship. So I think there are positive takeaways coming out of SummerSlam, even if it doesn't live up to your and I standards of what a SummerSlam, what a Royal Rumble, what a WrestleMania Survivor Series Money in the Bank really should be. And the truth is, there's only so much they could have done if they are trying to reset storylines and put good people Don't in good positions going forward. And the, and the other thing I'm going to say, BC, is what, one of the things that you are making the biggest deal out of this event is that nothing happened regarding the storyline for a match that wasn't booked on the event. So we we have, through dirt sheets, and this is why sometimes you say you don't like reading dirt sheets, in our heads, hey, there's this Roman Reigns-Daniel Bryan thing that's going to happen, right? They're probably going to have a match on the card. But they never announced a match for the card. They never said that Daniel Bryan was the one who attacked Reigns twice. Then why These did are they things that we're quick. conjuring and we're, and we're expecting. Based why did on they run a video package? Based on what they're telling us on TV. Midway through the show, why did they run a video package? I got up to go to the bathroom during that. I thought I was going to come back to a Roman Reigns versus Rowan match or Roman Reigns versus Dan O'Brien. It was before like the final four matches and that was the second time they referenced it. Obviously, the first one was Rowan attacking Buddy Murphy in the pre-show ruining that match, but you can we can discuss later whether you like that or not. So you're right. They did reference it a couple times. But if you're saying, hey, SummerSlam didn't give us anything to look forward to to TV this week. Well, in the same breath, you need to realize Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan, the Roman Reigns storyline they're giving us to look forward to. That's okay, the hook. You're using That's the Summer one thing Slam. that remains out there. I know, but you're saying, using hey, SummerSlam as an advertisement. They should have. For yeah. TV. If you're doing that ahead of the first Fox episode, maybe you can justify it. Roman Reigns did not appear on this show. That's okay, not Brian, really but, justifiable. Brian, but, we've the, but we've spent the entirety of the existence of this podcast saying, why does Roman Reigns always have to be the main event? Always getting pushed the hardest. I think we're more upset that specifically Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan wasn't on the show. Because for me, no. I got to be honest, dude, it was refreshing not having you know Roman Reigns. You know what we're Reigns really upset show. about? That they have the tools to make us feel like we feel at the end of Saturday night. At the end of NXT TakeOver Toronto. They have more tools than Trips has. And what you said, and I want to counter that. You said, after how bad the booking was earlier this year. Spring. And it was. We're, we're panicking. It was we're basically, it was horrible. We're basically like, we're, we're 40-year-old men watching men in underwear justifying the amount of hours we put into here for work and personal pleasure purposes, maybe we need to get laps again. Maybe we need to just take off and stop doing this. And you said if they would have come out with this SummerSlam, that would have been fine. I counter that because what made Raw and SmackDown good when it has been good in the past two months has been this new spirit. It's been this feeling that Paul Heyman might be having a big hand in the creative on Raw and this, this feeling that there's changes coming. This show on Sunday night, and you can tell me if I'm if you think I'm wrong, didn't have any of those new feelings, didn't have any of those Paul Heyman feelings. This was a Vince show. This was 100% a 73-year-old Vince show on Sunday night. And in being that, it was hit or miss. So in being that, again, Paul Levesque has more tools on Saturday night. This is like another slap in the face, but not with somebody's hand, more with 
I mean, <laughs> more with that of what it could be, Adam. It's no longer a fresh idea to say, well, you know what? I actually think that TakeOver card was better than SummerSlam. It's no longer a hipster thing to say, how the hell are they going to top this after Saturday night? It's 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 fact. It's 100% fact in 2019. NXT is better than Raw and SmackDown by a lot. And Trips is using like 40% of the production that WWE proper is using. He's making it about what matters. I don't have to go down this road again, but he's giving you the full meat. He's taking a different kind of meat and slapping you in the face with it. I'm getting slapped with old flaccid meat <laughs> at SummerSlam. SummerSlam, not Backlash. So my point is this. You don't have the time or space to do that, Vince. Competition's coming. The pressure is on like ever to make these ratings and stock prices jump. And you played it safe. Yeah, I do think they played it safe, but I think it's also that was a microcosm of the entire weekend. Like, but are you going to back meaning, them playing it? Meaning safe? the fi- the end the end of Saturday night was a, a Sunday night was a microcosm of the entire weekend. Brian, there were I, I I forgot the count. I've lost count. Ten, eleven titles defended over two days. One championship changed on their second biggest weekend of the year. That's unacceptable. It's unacceptable not because. We need different people as champions. It's unacceptable because it's stagnant. These people had all been champions. The NXT champions, with the exception of the Street Profits, had been champions. You know what I mean? Like, this is the WWE champions outside of a couple changes on television. It's like we've seen Kofi as champion since April. And I love Kofi. And you know no one, literally no one, has been higher on Kofi Kingston than me. But they had that spot tonight. And, you know, we'll get we're still going to go match by match here, but they had Kofi doing the splash off the top rope and Orton hitting him with the RKO. That's the spot. That's the moment. Give me a one, two, yes. three. Let Orton take the title. Have Kofi win it back in three months. And like, you know what you do? What are you doing? Have the spot with the kids earlier in the night. And then yes. after Orton wins, rub the title in their face. And then guess what? Now we care what happens on Tuesday night. Now we care that they would meet again in your next pay-per-view. It's Look. not friggin' hard. I'll do a quick booking the damn territory, right? You have that moment with the kids before the splash and the RKO. You have that. Kofi gets upset, starts beating Orton, rolls him into the ring, goes into the top rope, makes sure his kid's okay, takes a minute, goes to the top rope, splashes off. Orton surprises him with the RKO, wins. Crowd erupts in booze. And you have a monster heel in Orton as now a 15-time, I believe, uh, WWE world champion. And, and Kofi's upset, crying with his kids ringside. It's great. And now you're working back up to it. Instead, you're right. They went with the safe move, BC. That's not even safe. Honestly, That's a middle finger. That's not even safe. That That's just like, Double. you know, Double. so uh, I, I said, meet the new boss. It's meet the new bedsheets. Same as the old bedsheets. You know what? Well, I'm fully Brian, back Brian, there again. I'm fully surprised. back there. But you can't be surprised that a WWE okay. pay-per-view is booked by Vince McMahon. Like it, this but, is but your reaction to the to my emotional overreaction is basically be like, well, what do you expect? I expect a, a return on my time investment. So here's the deal. I'm not done on, with pro all, wrestling. We're, we're on the same page here. Just so you okay, know. but like, I'm not done with wrestling in pro in 2019. Meaning, if WWE is bad, then I'm not watching anymore. In fact, there's better stuff in NXT. In fact, G1, which I've just sniffed the rim this weekend and haven't gone all in yet, is amazing. 
yet we put the time and resources on Sunday night for traffic purposes for work because for the 32nd annual time, SummerSlam is the second biggest pay-per-view of the year. To We staff multiple people. We do all these pre-podcasts. We do this post-podcast right now. When the reality is, again, not a hipster debate, Saturday, way better. Saturday morning, Sunday morning, tomorrow morning, probably going to end up being way better. It, there's a part of me, Adam, it's not a laziness thing. It's not, it, it's a, it's a, it's a heart thing because I care about the, I sound like Terry Bollea. I care about this business so much that I can't keep going on like this. This can't say, be acceptable for fans who know what that meat tastes like. Damn, we're just doing last year's show over again. The, we ended up here, all right? It happened, okay? We can end the show your, right now. Go back and listen to last year's episode. That's the rest of the show. You took yourself here because there were moments even tonight, and, and when I keep saying it, we're going to go match by match here, but there were moments tonight that you almost wouldn't let yourself enjoy because of your preconceived opinions on what was happening. And we're going to get to them individually. I'm not going to call them out now so you can start debating it. But I think if you would have relaxed a little bit in terms of what you didn't want to see already being on the card already, you knew it was going to be on the show. Brian, if you, I got a lot of tweets, right? I tweeted out during the show, man, the booking here is real. This was before the final uh, two matches. Uh, I'm like, the booking here has been really bad and boring and uninspired and predictable, right? And I got multiple tweets from followers of ours who live in Canada and were at SummerSlam. And they're like, what the F are you talking about? We're loving this here. So there was – the crowd, by the way, did not come off very well on TV. There were many times it seemed extremely quiet, ill, very slow to react and just uninterested. But from what multiple, like five or six tweets I got – and I don't have a ton of followers, so that's you know somewhat representative um, – like, what are you talking about? We are having a blast. So Yeah, but that's the in, that's the in arena experience. I'm just saying maybe something was lost and maybe – and again, like I said, and we're going to get to it right now, maybe there were a couple of things that happened tonight where you were – you had preconceived notions that it wasn't going to be good. And I, I, there were things I'll I don't think that. you allowed yourself to enjoy. I'll straight up agree with you on that. But I think it's fair to have that high bar where it's like I'm not even going to smile until you woo me. When we are talking about SummerSlam, but I will agree, you know, it's the same sort of argument that people throw at me and, and, and it works in these spots. Well, if AEW did that, you'd be doing backflips. Well, uh, it, sometimes it's in or it's in comparison to your expectations. And again, I'm not surprised the crowd was going nuts. Do you know when the crowd goes nuts a lot at Raw and SmackDown when they do those forced Six-man tags when they come back from commercial? Because usually the end of those four six-man tags plays to the crowd perfectly in terms of building up a comeback. But here's the thing, WWE, whether it's a pay-per-view, whether it's Raw or SmackDown, what's the difference in percentage between the 12,000 in an arena that you're playing to or the millions watching around the world? Who should you be playing to more? In a non-televised house show? Play to those people all you want, all right? When it's SummerSlam, play to me. Play to my ball bag. Enter my satchel, right? Okay. Handle me with care, right? 
And it's not because I'm some high and mighty fan who's going to threaten to turn you off for the 57th time this year. It's because there is competition, and it's because your son-in-law, Vince, gets it. And Adam, we're going to go match to match, but here's the deal. And he doesn't (laughs) just get it for the Smarks or get it for the indie fans. He gets it for 2019. Um, Tell me in your heart of hearts, in your heart of hearts as a human being, Adam, that right now, for your profession, and we're ble- hashtag blessed, we're doing this right now, we're getting paid for it, <laughs> you'd rather be talking about NXT TakeOver Toronto, Cole Gargano 3, rating letter grades, talking about clean up on aisle Adam's couch after that match was done, than sitting here arguing with me over whether SummerSlam let us down all the way or half the way. Well, here's the truth. We're going to do both, so I don't care. I'm enjoying so – I listen, there were moments – like I said, there were many parts of SummerSlam that were enjoyable. There were many parts, more parts, of NXT TakeOver Toronto that were enjoyable. And if we stop giving a prelude into the match card that we're going to give our instant analysis for, BC, the good news about our hashtag blessed profession is we get to do it all. F it. We do it live. We get to do it all, BC. All right, final so question because I want to figure start. out if I'm crazy right here, okay? This is now me getting up off the shrink's couch <laughs> and looking at a separate alternate version of myself, very Back to the Future Part 2 right here. Um, are there fans out there who have seen both, who have got got a taste of that beef, that meat, that well-cured man, right, that male hog? And actually say to themselves, no, I prefer what Raw, SmackDown, and SummerSlam is giving me. Yes. Do they just not hear Jimmy? Or am I just that IPA snob who's been to the other side of the fence and now will never go back? There are people who love Bushlight and Keystone and Bud Regular and Coors and Miller and Bud. I used to in college. I was naive once. You know what? Great beer for me back in college was Yingling. Now, I get some Dew South Caramel Cream Ale. Well, Jack Crosby I get, I get a little too. Cigar City High Lie. I'm living the good life down here in Florida with craft beer. But you know what, BC? You're not living the great life in New England, but you're living the pretty good life. Yeah, I'll give it's you that. It's better down here. It's better down here. Oh, God. oh, my God. First of all, the people from Chicago are going to kill you for your dank pizza takes, apparently. First of all, my but, pizza take was perfection. But number two... Uh, attempt to try to tell me that South Florida has better craft beer scene than New England, and we can we can we can. So uh, saying, the interview's over. Saying, all right. I wasn't necessarily saying South Florida alone, but South Florida into Tampa, so the southern part of Florida. I'll give you your whole state. Pretty great. I'll yeah, take your whole great. state up against any of the New England states. Thank you. Keep sure. it going. I'm in. I'm right. in. Except for Rhode Island, because nobody goes to Rhode Island. No one considers it. A state. No, you have to count it. It's like the area. Rhode Island is like the evolve. And of of you know all right all right keep all right all right let's go match I think by match like evolve of the entire country all right we love you long uh, Rhode Island all right BC Did we really though uh, all right keep going keep going well I don't know I've never been there all right we're gonna get to the instant analysis here BC so hey it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels so whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today your savings are waiting 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Uh, Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship. I think the easiest way to put it is. It just completely in every way for me over-delivered. The action was good. The storytelling was good. The finish was good. Um, it's everything that I've always wanted from a Brock Lesnar match, and we've gotten it multiple times last two years at Survivor Series. It's the high work rate, really good match. Rollins looks like he's going to dominate but allows the smaller guys to get over on him. The difference is the smaller guy won this time. And for me, the crowd – Really put it over the top because don't forget earlier in that show, they show Seth Rollins backstage by himself. He's getting booed. Bret Hart walks on screen. He gets a little bit of a cheer. It felt very much as we've said this week and the, and the prior week on our podcast, it felt like Roman Reigns booking. They failed getting this guy over. So now here's the rock equivalent to lift his arm up and point to him and say, this is the guy, right? But then they put him in this match and organically, based on booking, based on work rate, he gets over in a massive way. And that reception for Rollins, I don't know if we've seen anything like that recently except Kofi Kingston at WrestleMania. That's fair. Um, I penalized this match grade. Really, it was like an A and A-plus effort from them. You know, Lesnar didn't give his best, but he gave pretty close. And it was almost an A-plus effort in taking a predictable finish, an angle we didn't necessarily want, which is Rollins doing some really bad babyface stuff that I'm beating down, but it's all I know. I'm going to win on Sunday. Like, just some bullshit, all right? And yet coming out and, and just, I mean, just hitting you in the right in the mud hole. I mean, just putting their hands in it. I almost penalized it because of the show at a whole just sort of not going next level. Us not knowing about what's going on with Brian and Reigns, me having higher expectations so for what I'm going to get here. Um, and also this part. I don't know if I, I believe that Rollins would, would beat Lesnar twice cleanly in four months. I don't know if I'd believe that. If you're going to tell me he did it at Mania because he kicked him in the balls a few times and because non-kayfabe, WWE wasn't sure if he's going to UFC at that point, so they figure, you know what, let's have a clean transaction on the way out. That's fine. Was it a more believable booking? Yes. Which is why I give it a high B-plus in the end. Because that's how you do it. That's how You get a, a babyface beaten down early covering his ribs with tape, and you have him keep clawing and keep clawing. And then the big spot through the table outside, which was fantastic. And then the multiple stomps. So this was way better than that WrestleMania match from that degree. But at the same time, it's like, I know you can criticize Brock Lesnar for always going over and always having the belt. But I almost I felt like it was a little too easy for Seth in the end. I almost somehow wanted more adversity to justify it. But with that said, and you can argue that a lot of what I just said is irrational and preconceived. The effort was A-plus from Seth. The effort from the crowd. The feels that they captured. The drama, the intensity, the violence. I mean, that was a main event. And they gave a main event performance. 
It was a true main event. I think what, why you wanted more adversity for him is because what we have seen with Lesnar recently has been John Cena, The Undertaker, and Roman Reigns. And when he had those matches, it was 15 Germans and 7 F5s, and then eventually he pinned them because they were the baby faces and so on, right? But what you have to remember is in his matches with Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles, they went very much like this because it's not believable for Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, AJ Styles to take four F5s and kick, keep kicking out. That, that, that's unbelievable. It's all, it gets to the Gargano Cole level at TakeOver Brooklyn where it's like he kicked out again? Like that's a joke, right? Except the difference is this time it's Brock Lesnar giving you the move. So I do agree that a little bit more adversity, a kick out of an F5 clean would have been nice. A couple extra Germans after he flipped out of the first couple. Yes, I agree. That would have been nice. But ultimately, the goal of this is to get Seth Rollins over as your w, as your universal champion. They succeeded in that. My biggest question coming out of this is they're going to Fox in October, BC. What's happening? Is this a way to get Brock Lesnar off of the red brand, give him a month, month and a half, and make him the challenger for Kofi Kingston's WWE title on SmackDown. Move him for the first time, really, since his return to WWE, full-time from Raw to SmackDown. Is that what they're doing here with Brock Lesnar? And if so, suddenly, the next match that we're going to talk about, Randy Orton and Kofi Kingston, that decision makes a lot more sense. So you're setting up that Brock is going to go over, potentially, Kofi on the on the first night and sort of win a lot of casual laps crossover UFC fans who are checking in and just sort of go, oh, Brock's got the belt now. Okay. Because it, it that is one of my big questions of, well, what are you doing now with Brock? Because, and maybe I'm penalizing this match wrongfully for the things I hated about this build, Brock's handling of that briefcase. Because I asked myself at the end of this feud, what do we learn here? Well, we learned that Seth is better than Brock clean twice. And I don't think that should be ever what we learn. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't only, think that's... The only way Lesnar's ever beaten Rollins has been cashing. And like, I don't think that, that, that that's... A, that's unless, crazy. Unless Rollins tomorrow is replacing Reigns in that spot, I don't think that's something we should learn. And the lack of Roman Reigns involved in this at all, it's like, I know Ambrose is gone. They are shield mates, though. Is it horrific to have Reigns come out and celebrate with, with, with Rollins? I mean, just, just little things like that that plant extra seeds for the future. I'm not saying that's a reason necessarily why I'm crapping on this match, but everything was very vanilla in the end. And one match didn't fix that feud, and it doesn't necessarily fix where Brock's character is going, I guess, unless like what you're saying, they're going to send him over there. Because let's think about it. Since Brock came back the last time, when are the times he wasn't angling toward the title? Well, he had that forgettable feud with Ambrose when they knew he was leaving for UFC 200. And then he sort of comes back in in a, in a weird Orton feud that didn't really go anywhere. So that's, the, that's, that's what I've been saying, though, about Lesnar. You don't need him to chase a title. You need him to just go up against your biggest people, win most of those feuds, and then put a couple people over here and there. And they just... The way Vince McMahon books Brock Lesnar, it's like – that's why I sent you a message during the show. It was like any match where Brock like gives up 20 percent of the offense, it ends up being pretty good. But, but there's so few matches where that happens. Even against Reigns, like he dominated Reigns. And even though Reigns got in plenty of offense there, it was never believable that Reigns would 
would eventually beat him. And then when they did have him eventually beat him, it was in a similar, like Braun was out there distracting him and so on and so forth. So what I liked so much, I honestly cannot remember the last time Brock Lesnar lost 100% clean. No low blows, no distractions at ringside, no money in the bank cash-ins. I really don't know when it was. And for them to put over Rollins in that manner, in a main event, and allow him to get, I don't know if it was the majority of the offense, but a significant amount of offense in that Wasn't match. Wasn't it when The so Undertaker that put was him good in Hell's looking. Gate and Brock Lesnar flipped him out and passed out, or was there a low blow that set that up? There was a low blow in that match. And it was in a cage, so it's kind of, yeah. Taker never beat him clean. Then when was his last major loss? So who did he win back that title for? The title that he brought into WrestleMania Oh, he 31. beat Goldberg. Goldberg uh, beat Owens for the title, and then Lesnar beat Goldberg for the title. All right, so Le- Lesnar lost straight up clean to Goldberg at Survivor Series in 2016, but it was more yes. like a knockout blow, like caught him off yes. guard. But before that, so Lesnar came into WrestleMania 31 against Reigns with the same belt that he won from Cena, right? So he really hadn't lost clean in at all in this run. So that's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. That's what I'm saying. It's interesting that Rollins is getting this type of rub, but you got to do something with it. Just like when Lesnar broke Taker's streak, people that hated it were like, "Okay, you got to do something with it." Now you can argue they did. They made Lesnar, you know, the biggest star in the company for a good stretch there. So now you got to do something big with Rollins here. So to spin off of this. If Rollins is going to be the face of Raw entering this hot time period of competition and Fox moving on to SmackDown going to Fox, who's Seth's big money fall opponent? Is it heel AJ Styles? Because, oh, hell yeah, I'm here for that. Yeah, it very well might be. I mean, that's, that is the move. They gave us a taste of it coming out of WrestleMania. We both said, hey, feel, well, I, I said, this feels like a little too soon. You disagree. You're like, no, give it to me as much as I- – as much as you possibly can, and you're right. If they gave us a taste of that, AJ loses this U.S. title, maybe a Clash of Champions to Ricochet, makes it. They have a stipulation match where no one's at ringside. Again, we'll get to that in a second. Um, yeah, it might be Styles, and that might, that would be nice. That would be something I could go for. Or they could turn Reigns heel like you want, or, or turn Seth heel, sorry, and have a face go up against him, whether it be Reigns, whether it be someone else on that show, like a Ricochet. I just don't really think they're going to go in that direction. They really worked hard tonight to put Rollins over as the baby face in the con- in the company. And if we're being honest, what they need to do with Rollins, to p- piggyback on what you're saying, is what they have been doing legitimately since April with Kofi Kingston. And that's where we should really go next, the WWE Championship match. Kofi Kingston, Randy Orton going to a double countout. I know what you're going to say, so I'm not going to I'm going to give you that space to say it. But what I'm going to say uh, preceding you is this. The match, while fine, was unspectacular even exactly. before the finish. You're right. The, the crowd hadn't bought into it yet, and that, that was really the problem. So it's not like – here's the problem. They used the same finish as a year ago. AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, first chapter of their feud. And at the time, we somewhat justified it. It sucked, but we justified it because guess what? This dirtbag Samoa Joe was getting in the, the face of AJ's wife. So if AJ's going to force the DQ finish and be a man, I can get behind that. Number two, that match was hot fire up to that point. This match was not. This finish 
absolutely unacceptable, borderline un-American, like I tweeted and forgetting it was in Canada, so it made the joke either even much better or much worse, <laughs> depending on your I standpoint. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, this was the moment that when I asked myself, where do I want to record this post-podcast from? Do I want to do it from my desk chair or do I want to get in my bed sheets and, and dirty them up? That was your moment. That was your turning point moment. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I hate this. I hated the ending. I hated everything about it. People that were in the arena, though, Adam, that I am friends with, the great Chris Mettler, who him and his boys bought a box to watch that. His first response was like, bro, did you just see that Kofi heel turn? Were the announcers popping for it big? My response was, this card sucks. No, they didn't even mention it. And that's pretty much what happened. Because it wasn't a heel turn. Faces getting aggressive doesn't mean they're heels. Just the same thing happened with Becky Lynch. We, we go over this ad nauseum. Just because someone gets aggressive and gets angry doesn't mean they're now a bad guy. You know, but I get his term, point of you think, you think something's happening potentially in the crowd that sure. the announced team is not even touching. Well, well, because you can't see in the crowd, especially if his box was you know, facing the, the camera. Um, you can't see that Randy Orton is crouching by the you know, ringside area kind of staring down Kofi's kid and not saying not saying anything and if he did say something it wasn't audible the mics didn't pick yeah. it up and the cameras so, didn't put over the referee counting that that came out of nowhere couldn't even hear it and then it didn't seem even when they when they rang the bell and you're like oh my god it was a double count out you're like wait that didn't seem like 10 seconds at least not in WWE 10 seconds you know so it was a really forced terrible finish um as you said if you want to even if you want to have that finish and you went back to last year's match you're right on two things. One, last year's match was great between AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. And it was aggressive, like Joe getting in the wife's face and being Samoa Joe, being this dastardly guy. And you know Orton's a piece of crap in storyline, right? But he didn't do anything. Like he didn't go chest to chest with the kid or or hurt Kofi, start banging on him, like punching him in the face and shoving his face in their face. Like he didn't do anything that was heel enough for Kofi, Kofi to react the way he did. And it's not like he it, found it, out found out that Randy had been banging his wife. Like that's next level booking, but we that didn't happen. No, it didn't. And so now you're telling me again that they're using a SummerSlam match with a great build, really textbook perfect WWE build to build to a Clash of Champions rematch in a month. No, that doesn't work for me, BC. No, no, that was no, a failure get, get out of here. for all for everything great they've done with Kofi, and for as great as this build was. That was the biggest disappointment of the night for me. Not even a question about it. You know what? <clears throat> we really need to re reexamine, reestablish, rethink things. Why are we instant analysis SummerSlam? Why are we wasting any more time on the rest of these matches that we know we don't like? Well, you don't like them. I liked a lot of what happened. We're going to keep going, BC. And why do we do it? Because this is like our second most listened to episode of the entire year. So that's Well, you why. know what we should start doing then? Put what? SummerSlam or WrestleMania or backlash in the title but all we're gonna do is talk about nxt takeover <laughs> well we will get to it if we can get through this card i don't see. think we will uh, and when you know I what do. it doesn't deserve it it deserves it but because we've committed to SummerSlam, let's put SummerSlam to bed in those same dirty bed sheets all, all right, right. Well, and then we'll rethink our entire operation after this well let, let's talk about something we will both pop for let's let's turn the energy of this podcast around bc the fiend bray wyatt against finn Balor. if if you want me to say that the main event was an A, which I believe it was. You said B plus A, four point five star match, whatever, however you want to term it. 
man, they have absolutely nailed the fiend and Bray Wyatt in every single moment that we've seen on television, every introduction, every little new wrinkle that's been added BC. And tonight, if everything else was doubles and triples and home runs, grand slam in my opinion. Yeah, and, and it's in its simple little old school attention to detail. It's the remix theme song. It's him coming out as the fiend but carrying the lantern like he used to that's covered in this odd looking double of his old look with the regular Bray face and the and the dress. His face. Yeah. I mean it's incredible. You, you talk about Finn Balor dressed in all white by the way which Perfect. perfectly counterbalances the sort of satanicness coming his way. And then just like even the character development of when it looks like the fiend is going to get the early win on Finn. He pauses before sister Abigail and has these second thoughts. And, 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 and it's a callback to the, to what we sort of have here, which is two personalities. And that's why this character works right now, but they didn't really give it all away. It's still like, you know, an expectation that we're still going to unravel this, whether he, you know, somebody that's trying to be reformed in this over the top positive, uh, you know, apologetic for his sins. And, and by the way, Bray Wyatt's still carrying this out on social media perfectly and calling people out and, or like apologizing to people that he's hurt over the years. But then he turns back into the fiend at different points and he turned back into it in this match and got the finish. We worried about <clears throat> whether the funhouse was fun, but the new Bray would look like the old Bray in the ring. They successfully, like you said, hit a hit a monster home run in every little aspect. And that's, that's what matters. That shows you that people are trying that spirit should have and could have been over this whole show. And if it was WWE would be on fire. And when they were in, when they are in all those extra living rooms on SmackDown come October 4th, they'd be doubling and tripling, bringing back fans. Adam, that's not craziness. That's not hyperbole. If you put this type of attention into your other feuds, you're going to have that. So if we're going to criticize Kevin Dunn, which I I will uh, right now because I was holding down vomit from motion sickness during the chair shots during the Kevin Owens match. But if you're going to criticize him, people need to give him a little bit of credit here because the presentation of The Fiend, not just the music, which was fantastic, not just the look, which is a lot of Wyatt. Wyatt got the mask designed, worked with famed costume designers. He did the whole look. He has the character. You have to give credit to Bray Wyatt. But the camera work of that entrance, the pans back and forth, the lights, the way he entered the ring, the way he then exited it and was suddenly at the top of the ramp afterward. Man, I've been watching wrestling a long ass time. I've never seen anything like that before. And with the Marilyn Manson-esque remix to the music on top of it, and Balor playing a great role in his fantastic reactions and then using the mandible claw, but not in a pass out foam at the mouth way like Foley, but to subdue someone to gently pin their shoulders to the canvas. I mean, if you, if they could have brought in Mauro Ronaldo to call that match, that's the only way it could have been better because it was other than that picture freaking perfect. The one thing I do wish happened after the match, I didn't, really love that Balor got up and was confused. I almost wish that they disappeared him. He just was gone. Or, or, or got carried or out on a stretcher. If this was 1987, he would have been carried out on a stretcher for like double yeah. and triple effect of, oh my God, this guy's a badass. Yeah, so I didn't like that the sell, and it wasn't his fault. That's how it was booked. I didn't like that they didn't sell it 
as great as it was, even though Balor was petrified at the beginning of the match. And you're right, dressing him in all white, like, mwah. Hey, one kids, minute like, aside, because we're not going to get into NXT on this show. It's going to have to wait for our weekly episode this week, because that's the way WWE sets it up. They want you to care about Sunday Night more. Um, okay. Blake Molina DM slid with uh, not a new thought, but the idea of like, hey, Moro was so incredible on TakeOver, blah, 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 at BlakeMo92, by the way. He did make this comment, though. He's as good as JR was in his prime, in my opinion, when it comes to selling and believability. You know, I think he's right. And that's something I've never allowed myself to put into full context. Like, I know Moro's great. Part of Moro's greatness is that he can do every sport, all three combat sports, plus kickboxing, plus whatever else, and can do it all at the very highest level. I mean, you see it up close. You work, you work with him. But the idea of, is he actually better than JR? Something that, even saying right now, almost feels sacrilege. Almost feels like a lightning bolt is going to hit me. I think he's getting to the point where you could actually prefer him more historically in terms of, okay, there's a giant match coming up. It's the WrestleMania main event. I'm not going to tell you who's in it, but it's going to be the biggest match of the year. Do you want 1998 Jim Ross calling it? Or do you want, you know, 2018, 2019 NXT Moro calling it? I'm picking Moro because just like I make the argument that Wrestling has evolved to a 2019 version that is no longer indie wrestling. It's 2019 wrestling. I think Moro's style has evolved to that's the guy I want calling the matches, the guy who goes nuts like that. I will say this. Mauro Ronaldo, top to bottom, all-encompassing, is my favorite combat sports announcer of all time. It has everything to do with his very talents, the fact that he can do all three, as you said. The energy that he particularly brings to wrestling, that even if you told me someone else did all three— they wouldn't call wrestling the way he does. He changes his commentary style to appeal to the wrestling audience because he knows what is necessary to call wrestling matches. So you have that. Then you have the preparedness for all three sports and what he brings to boxing and MMA. And, you know, personally, I like him. I'd probably rank him boxing one, wrestling two, MMA three. But I'm, that's also oh no, he's um, like twice as good at wrestling as he is in boxing, and he's great at. Boxing. I think he, I think he's great at boxing. I don't know. I, I enjoy listening to him call. Boxing. All right, but I, this I, is just. I feel re- like I learn. I feel this, like I learn listening to him call boxing. This is just wrestling. Do you think he's in the Jim Ross conversation? Oh, he's right easily now? in the conversation. There's no question. I think if you're asking me what who would I want in a scenario like you're proposing, it completely depends on the match. Is it Steve Austin Rock? I want Jim Ross. Period. Is it Shawn Michaels Bret Hart? You know what? Maybe I want Mauro Ronaldo, but I think it totally depends on the match, the moment, the event. I would love to have either of them call if I was ever in a great wrestling match. <laughs> you know, you know, people look. There's there's people that you know begged Undertaker, uh, wanted Jim Ross to come back to WrestleManias to call his matches. And that's all Jr. did for a period of time, right? There are guys in NXT right now who it is their career highlight that Mauro Ronaldo was calling their match and. That goes to speak to how great he is. And if we're not going to talk about NXT on the show, that's fine. But uh, a side note on him, exceedingly happy to see him on that show, his home country. And that was a great moment and a great night for him. Absolutely. Let's stay rolling on here (laughs) before I die. Um, That sounds good. Yeah. uh, Charlotte Flair, Tristratus had a lot of potential coming in. It took a while. They got there in the end. Didn't get there enough to make this an A match. Didn't get there enough to get the full potential out of them. But the start was slow. The middle was awful. 
The fans rightfully didn't make a peep during it. But I'm going to give both credit. Trish for kind of selling out and taking some stiffness and, and kind of going for it. Charlotte for carrying her. And by the way, the size difference between them was almost appalling once I realized shocking. that. It was truly shocking. Yeah. Um, in the end, I can't grade it high. But I'll give them credit for physically selling out and putting forth a fun finish in the end. It just it fell a little bit flat to have Charlotte reverse that. It didn't have a lot of flow in it, but they won the crowd back over, which was a victory compared to where this match was at certain points. Yeah, it built well. Um, ultimately, it was a success. Whether you, however you graded, really doesn't matter. Ultimately, was this match between these two successful? Yes. Would it have been better three years ago? Absolutely. Um, Charlotte definitely carried Trish throughout. Even at the beginning, some of the moves that Trish was doing that the commentary was putting over is, oh my God, she still has it. It was like, it was kind of almost Botch City there and Charlotte just yes. doing flips. Like feet were missing her and she was, you know, getting the job done. Um, when they had Becky Lynch and Natalia open the show, I mean, I knew this anyway going into it. We talked about it. But when they had them open the show, I'm like, oh, Charlotte Flair Trish main eventing for the women's card. And it really shouldn't have. That 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 was unfair to Becky and Natalia. That match was great to open the show. Well, we'll here's talk, the deal. We'll talk about it. But I don't but think that, it's that actually match, that was a main event women's match. It really was. I don't think it's unfair, and you could argue maybe this is why WWE put B sides in Natalia and Ember Moon that originally, and obviously Natalia sort of overachieved in the build to this, but originally we were like, oh, Natalia and Ember Moon. Maybe that was to pump up Flair and Strat and Stratus to make it necessary as as so that it would be easier to accept without a title at stake as a passing of the torch type match a hogan rock type match and um but they didn't even do a passing of the torch i mean i know charlotte's yeah. a heel but there was no she beat her and then trish got cheers and then she didn't stay in the ring long enough yeah, so the referee made her go back it, you know what overall i don't want to crap like, on this because their honestly, effort was there but you know what you know what this match showed me that that era sucked. I know Trish was the best of that era, but Charlotte really had to work to carry her. That era sucked for a reason. We didn't watch it back then for a reason. Well, no, it's 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 the women weren't main eventing for a reason. I mean, yes, they were booked as divas and they were booked in bra and panty matches and it was more TNA than wrestling ability, but it was more TNA than wrestling ability. Like that's what those the women that were of that era not saying they didn't All have right. skill. We're, we're almost an hour in. Molly Holly. Molly Holly was certainly talented. No, they, 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 had some, they had some workers here. We're almost they an hour in. We got to roll through. Is they just don't compare to the people of today at all. It's it's Sasha Banks, uh, Bailey, even uh, Charlotte, Becky Lynch, Natalia, etc. They are so much better in the ring than right, they, you just said the, the word. Predecessor. You just said the word Sasha Banks. And I would have bet money that she was coming back on this card in yeah. some form. We me booked too. the territory with all that. That's another reason why this card didn't go next level for me. And if they do it like at this week's TV, you blew it. And if they are waiting for, let's say, that debut episode of SmackDown on Fox to have that kind Two of pop. Months. I I get it. At this point, maybe that's what you wait for. But this is another fail that she didn't show up on this card, that she didn't run in at the end of this match, which is something you laid out as a possibility. What if Trish does great but loses in the end? But then Sasha's music hits and she gets in Charlotte's face or Sasha's music hits and gets in Becky's face, which was what you really laid out. Giant fail. Sasha could have bailed out Bailey. A lot of stuff that could have happened well, and they didn't do it. Well, what you want on these pay-per-views and, and you know, I'm just going to bring it's what AEW showed us, right, with Double or Nothing. You want that Moxley moment, right? WWE used to give us that. And yes, a lot of it was Vince Russo because 
Everything had to be a swerve, bro. If you don't swerve them, bro, it's not, they're not going to love it and watch Monday, bro. But the truth is, swerves work. You don't have to do it every single time. But on a major pay-per-view like that, you want to have a big swerve. WrestleMania, you want Seth Rollins to shockingly cash in in the main event and have people losing their freaking minds that Reigns didn't beat Lesnar. It was the heel Rollins who did it after all, right? So you want like Becky to go over, get cheered by this crowd, and then walk up to like a huge ovation and Sasha to just brutally beat the crap out of her top the stage fail. and throw her into the Titantron just like Tommaso Ciampa right, did well, to Johnny Gargano. Get, you want that. Yeah, and we don't get it. But what we do get is a completely unnecessary Kevin Owens-Shane McMahon match with a completely unnecessary stipulation of KO would have to quit if he lost. So, of course, he won. And look, did they capture some crowd pop late? Yes. Did I see people on it. Twitter going, man, that was a great ending. That was a great finish. I don't want to be this the stickler here. But this match didn't need to happen. It included the most predictable sort of interferences by Elias that you would see on a big pay-per-view by WWE. And even though the ending was smart, it's ultra predictable on a few that really didn't make any sense why it was still going. I, I couldn't, I really can't praise this. It was the only good thing about it was only nine minutes long. Yeah. The praise is that it, the crowd popped for it. The crowd loved Kevin Owens. He's a Canadian and you know, he's from Quebec. He's from Montreal, like you French Canadian. Um, but he, the, the crowd popped massively. Shane McMahon got beat. People really hate Shane, both for storyline and non-storyline reasons because of how much WWE's used him. I don't know if this will be the end. Maybe there's a follow-up Tuesday, but I can tell you Shane has not been on both shows for an extended period of time. That's been an improvement. Kevin Owens getting over on him here. Maybe we don't see Shane Tuesday. And if so, then it does its job. But Kevin Owens, look, we think they've botched him because he had that Steve Austin CM Punk moment and, and we're like, oh my God, they're really doing something great with Kevin Owens and they made it corny and, and they really didn't follow it up well. But the truth is the fans love it. So, but it's just you when get to Shane hey, opens good. and announces Elias as the enforcer, it's like, hey, we just saw this on SmackDown. Remember yep. Drew McIntyre was like the guest referee and Elias was there and somebody else had a role and it's like, yep. We just saw this. All right, Bailey Ember Moon. Um, here it is, Adam. It lived up to its its negative expectations as a slow moment, popcorn moment on the card, especially coming off of AJ Ricochet, which had hot moments. Ember Moon did not look like a viable title contender, and they even threw in the ending of the Bailey Sasha Banks great NXT match with the Bailey to belly off the second rope. And yet it got over like a fart in church, like nobody cared. Um, what a what a waste! Like, well, this yeah. is they they should have had this match the week before on SmackDown and actually gave them twenty minutes and had a good match. This devalued the SmackDown Women's Championship, devalued both performers. I couldn't wait for this to get off my screen. So it was exactly what I thought it would be in the preview. So I, I, when I say exactly, I don't mean that I nailed it because I didn't. I said, hey. These two are great workers. This could really, really surprise us and be a great match. That wasn't the case. But what it was were two women giving work rate women's wrestling. The problem is neither of them were over. Bailey, despite there being hugger crowd sections and uh, hugger section um, signs in the crowd, there were no cheers. Ember Moon, no one cared about either way. It was 10 minutes, like you said. If it went 20, we would have been peeling our faces off that we were bored. And it came off of like, a trio of matches that the crowd was really popping for. So it had no chance to succeed in story. 
the booking I thought was okay. Like they actually worked and, and Bailey and both of them did some unique creative moves and it was interesting, but this was never going to get over. And you're right. We both poo pooed Ember Moon and Natalia. And we can actually, if you want, just get the women wrapped up and go to Becky Lynch and Natalia next. Um, but BC, like Natalia got herself over as a challenger and Becky helped, but you can't have two B sides, which is what Bailey and Ember Moon are, and expect it to be great. It's not, it's it just, just never. It was never going. This happen. is one of those where you really make the argument of <clears throat> takeovers nail it because it's five matches. All five of those matches get the time they need, and all five deliver in the end. This was a nine match card on the main card, twelve overall, that we are praising because it only went four hours. Like we're actually sitting here praising it. When in reality, if you're going to have nine matches on the main card, then to be really honest, three or four of them need to be quasi-squashes. Three or four of them need to be quick business. We had two of those on this card. We had the Bray Wyatt quasi-squash. We had the Goldberg quasi-squash. But you almost need to have more of that if you want to put out 12 matches. And again, this is one of those that would have been fine on the pre-show, would have been fine the week before, would have been fine just not doing, okay? But Four- Brian, here's, here's the issue, though, man. There were no matches longer than 1645 on this entire show. Like, you, they gave no one a true opportunity to shine. Yeah, this Even Ricochet, failed. AJ Styles wasn't long. This, this is where they failed, because AJ Styles, Ricochet should have been 25 minutes, and it would have been yes. your match of the night. It would have even been better than Rollins-Lesnar, and which, by the way, was a well, well-done 13 minutes and 25 seconds. I mean, they got a yeah. lot in in that. Yeah. But you're right. And, and look, it's the same argument about the devaluation of the titles. When you have this many titles at stake on one card, you're almost at the point where you're like, well, why is this match not a title match? And that shouldn't be at the point you're ever at. There should be like five titles on a card, and you spread out those matches. And in between, you've got grudge match here, stipulation match here, number one contender match here. No, now it's to the you know, it, it's just... I'm with you. Yeah, it's excess. All right. Uh, wait, wait. So let's just wrap up the women here. So Becky Lynch and Natalia for the Raw Women's Championship. I think it was somewhat the opposite. It was also a well-worked match, but... Both women were completely over. Did you like the finish, and, and how did you think that played yeah, out? Yeah, this was good business. This was a good start to the show. You had big names, or, or the big name of, of, you know you're going to get a Becky Pop here. Natalia in her own, own home country works. And it was a pretty well-written match to see them both attempt the submission finisher of the other, then sort of segue into Natalia getting a long chance at the sharpshooter with not only Becky going to the ropes, which is kind of expected, but her yanking her back and doing it all over again. There was some real drama there. These two worked hard to get the crowd, whereas Charlotte and Trish worked hard to save the crowd. Becky and Natalia worked hard to build the crowd in the right ways. Organically, they nailed it. That crowd was on fire when Becky made Natalia tap, and I think it was just good business all the way around. Becky's obviously great on the mic and a good character. She's getting better in the ring, you know, month by month, match by match. I think um, working with Natalia, obviously Natalia's great in the ring. That really helped. I mean, the crowd popped for a superplex. And I'm not saying that that's not impressive. I could never do one or take one. But, like, they popped huge well, for that. I'll pop and for the, a female superplex any day of the week. Sure, seriously. sure. But I, what, I, what I popped more for was Natalia with the sharpshooter, the reversals, the sharpshooter on the ropes, and then under the ropes also, like, it was just a really high-quality match, and you know the booking didn't happen of Becky winning with the sharpshooter, but you know what? It was probably better that way. That makes Natalia look like crap if you ever beat her with her own move, and that was probably unnecessary. They did an absolutely fantastic job, and that match went 12-35. So that and the Lesnar match, about 13 minutes, good booking, but they didn't really give time to many others. And as we said, AJ Styles 
against Ricochet. Uh, Styles retains the title. You know, I think we may have thought Ricochet was going to win. He comes out in that Nightwing-inspired gimmick that you uh, liken to what Sasha Banks and Alexa Bliss wore at um, – where was that? In the Not Middle East. Saudi Arabia. Yeah, whatever they, whatever country they were Qatar in. Qatar or Qatar, Yeah, uh, whatever they were there, Qatar hero, where they where they got to be the first women, apparently, in the Middle East to wrestle. I don't know. That doesn't do it for me. And it's not that I'm not – don't think it's cool when wrestlers sort of support the culture, the video game culture or the movie culture, the cosplay culture. I mean, look, I mean, Johnny Gargano does that with, with his characters there. But the difference is – when I see Ricochet in that suit, it reminds me of how WWE ruined Neville on the main roster. He couldn't just be this badass from England with the crazy eight pack, who, by the way, can also do crazy flips. It's got to be here's this superhero with no personality. But well, Neville, Neville was Mighty Mouse, but don't forget he did get a second chance, and he was pretty great. Yeah, he was great. Uh, here's the deal, though: they went 13 minutes. These 13 were fantastic. It was okay. It hadn't entered full on fantastic. Okay. It was building the foundation to really give you a great match. It wasn't fantastic yet, but everything was there, including the well-timed interference by the OC. Ricochet doing really creative moves to get out of the way from Anderson and Gallows. Remember when he jumped from the apron over both of their shoulders and then Hurricane Rana would AJ on the floor? And then it had a fantastic finish. I mean, Ricochet doing a sick Phoenix Splash into the Styles Clash is great. That's just as good as Kofi doing doing the uh, the leap attempt off the top rope and Randy catching him in the RKO. Like, it's great. Yeah. It's actually just a shame. You know you had these two. This was the worker match of the card. You knew it had potential to be great, and you gave him 13 minutes. This is all I, – uh, apparently it was a callback. I had not seen the match, and I, I probably should, so it's a huge hole in my wrestling viewing. Apparently that was a callback finish to Styles Abushi, I think, in 2015. Apparently they had some sick match, and that was – the same finish, Phoenix Splash, um, into the Styles Clash. But BC, outside of the Finn Balor match, which was a replacement at Survivor Series because everyone was sick and got hurt and like it was a weird scenario, right? Outside of that match, nearly every Styles feud, and we don't know that this one's over, but it's nearly every Styles feud against a worker like this has ended with us kind of being like, man, this could have been so much better. And there's a common denominator, and it's not – it is AJ Styles, but it's not AJ Styles. It's the time and the effort and the booking. Nakamura was never allowed to get over at all on Styles. Styles won all of those matches. Samoa Joe was never allowed to get over on Styles at all. Ricochet did, I think – I don't remember if he beat him for the title, um, but he was part of that feud. He, he did beat him during that feud. Um, but Styles has to remain dominant on him, and they give these guys, like you said, 13 minutes. Where what is truly the harm? With you don't want to give him 25, that's okay. What's the harm with giving him 20 minutes? Yeah, give him four what? more hot minutes and let the show him ended. It, the show out. ended at 10:30. I'm not saying we want a four-hour show, but give him end at 10:35 and and let these guys go. Like they're, they're your best been workers. Weird. You know you have fans like us who are loving NXT and you want them to watch the main roster, and you're trying to get Ricochet over. Just give him five extra minutes. Ten, ten extra AJ's minutes. run is weird. Like, to 2016, he won all of our hearts. Surprised WWE at how he could carry the company. He could be the big champion. He could sell merch. All that stuff. And then they keep giving him good booking from the standpoint of that he's winning and he's a champion. But really, since 2016, he hasn't gotten consistently interesting booking. Well, his, it's, face, it's, w, his face WWE championship run was white meat babyface, 
the the heels against him were pretty cool, like Nakamura and Joe, etc. But he won everything, and it but was even just like, like the KO feud didn't live up to what it could have been because they never allowed him in those feuds to just go out there and have a half hour match with somebody and tear the roof down. It always had to have some kind of stupid schmaz ending and be very WWE like, very Vince heavy, where it's just like while he can still work like this, let him go out there and just give you a wrestling match. Let him go out there with Flair Steamboat booking against everybody he go he faces. And you're going to be so friggin' entertained. And even this, I don't, I don't mind the OC interfering and having that. Big, the, the finish was fine. It's just let them work and entertain us before you get to that finish. It, it makes total sense that the, that the OC would do that. They're a dastardly heel group, maybe going to be a faction. And if you watch the kickoff show, we need to move on and finish this card. But if you watch the kickoff show, there was a tease with the OC trying to recruit Finn uh, Balor saying, yes. hey, if you want us to have your back – during your match with the fiend, we got you. Just throw up the you know the deuces, um, and he wouldn't do it, but he didn't say no. So it was kind of an interesting. Well, they should now. He tease. should do it now after getting beaten all white. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Uh, final match right. here on the main card was the second match overall: Goldberg, Ziggler, Adam. I I saw a lot of people loving this. I people just loved it. The crowd don't loved it. Get it? Okay, if you love the shit out of Goldberg, then I get it. Okay, because guess what? I love me some Kevin Nash. So if he's come, if it's seven years ago and he's coming back and he's power bombing some current current star through the ring, I'm gonna pop for it, right? But even when it's these legends coming back, I still want it to make sense. I still want it to just not ever look like a gangbang or look like a force. I don't know if this was WWE feeling bad about how he injured Undertaker and put forth that really bad Saudi made event, and it's just like, look, you're still in shape, you still pop for us. We want you to leave your career on your own good terms. We're going to give you roll out the red carpet. We'll use your name to sell tickets in Toronto. That's what it seems like. But again, Baron Corbin is the right dirtbag to tape this style of beating. Or a Singh brother or anybody to see Dolph Ziggler, who <laughs> I, I know you can argue and be like, you got, you always talk about you want Dolph Ziggler to get the push. He was just in a WWE championship feud with Kofi and it wasn't great. And you know what? It wasn't great. He was in a title feud with Seth before that. Didn't live up to expectations. But I don't think it's Dolph's fault. Dolph brings it. He can work. When you put him as a dastardly heel, he does great. This was crappy booking. It was oh, a minute man. and a, it was a two minute match. And to have him go back to the well twice and be like, you know, Goldberg, you hit like a girl, you suck. And have Goldberg come back and kick his ass again. This is the end of Dolph Ziggler's character. And everyone's treating me going, don't you know he gets paid main event money? He doesn't care. He's a professional jobber. No. Dolph's got to have pride on the inside. And I know people say, well, if he wanted to leave, he would have left a couple contracts ago. I don't know, dude. He's still in insane shape. He can still work. He can still talk. Why is he doing this, Adam? Why would he ever allow this type of booking? You don't get – there's nothing good. What came of this booking? Who looks good in the end? Goldberg already had his tour de force. He already had his thing. So if this is a one-off, hey, leave on your own terms, then don't ever come back. Well, it was makeup for Goldberg, and, and we'll see what ends up happening with him. With Ziggler, he now goes into the feud with the Miz that they were building. And if he gets Who over wants on to the see Miz, that now? Who cares? I'm just saying, if he gets over on the Miz, then at least he kind of gets a little bit of positivity back there. But, dude, it was he he was conjuring Chris Jericho to me on the canvas, still talking crap 
after getting the hell beat out of him. The first time it was funny. The second time it did get old. But the first time it was, it was legitimately laughable having Goldberg come back, do that. Even the second time, Goldberg playing it off as, hey, I'm going to just lift you up and leave. I feel bad for you. Running the ropes three times and then spearing him again. Dude, the crowd freaking loved it. I liked the match. Listen, it was an, a minute 50 of actual bell-to-bell ring time, right? And you hit us with a super kick off the bat that was legitimately shocking to the level great. of to the level of Goldberg when he first kind of came in and had his debut and hit the spear on Lesnar. It was legitimately shocking that it happened that quick. She's like, oh my God, this either A, may be a match, or B, what if Ziggler gets a pin right here, right? So that booking, plus then Goldberg hitting his two moves well, and then Ziggler still talking crap on the mic and being this new delusional character that he's so great, even though he's not. Um, it was better booking than my expectation. My expectation oh my was... God. My expectation was a 45-second match where he takes a spear and a jackhammer and loses. Yeah, this, but this, doesn't, this, I, doesn't this make Ziggler look three times as worse? No, because like, it's Goldberg. It's fine. Would it have hurt them for at the end, after the third time, for Ziggler to like get a super kick and just stumble off and laugh? And at least you're like, okay, he's a crazy bastard, but he gained back some of his heat there at the end. No, you can't do that to Goldberg. I mean, Dude, why, why does anyone owe Goldberg this? Okay, here's the deal. Goldberg was part of WCW. I'm the WCW guy, but still, Goldberg was part of WCW. Vince didn't owe him anything, yet Vince allowed him back in, used him for six, nine months, got some main events out of him, but guess what? Goldberg performed really well. There was a fun series there, the Goldberg-Lesnar feud, which involved KO. It was fine. It was fun. This was a money grab to come back to Saudi. It's Goldberg's fault that match sucked so bad. He doesn't... Why does he deserve this? He doesn't deserve it necessarily. It was a make good for from Vince. I mean, that's a Taker and Goldberg both got a make good. But uh, Taker had a really damn good tag team match with Roman Reigns. Goldberg didn't have a great match, but it was a great moment, and the and the fans really enjoyed it. Adam, how and many jobbers it. are actually sitting in that locker room? How many times do we see that twenty four seven belt come out? And but Brian, you see would you the really care? Jobbers. But Brian, would you really have thought that it would be a pay per view match if it was Goldberg and he's hurt, but gender? Or Goldberg, Robert Rude. Gender you is actually some, perfect. Gender is actually you need someone, perfect. You need someone of some stature. Maybe Corbin. Yes, maybe Corbin. But you need someone of some name value for it Ginder's to matter the on the paper. WWE now. champion. All right? That's enough name value for me. Yeah, Gender's not wrestling for a good while. Hey, I where think was he... Drew McIntyre tonight? Yeah, they were talking about potentially having a Drew McIntyre-Cedric uh, Alexander match on the kickoff show. That never happened. Obviously, Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan never happened. The kickoff show... Was largely unspectacular. We don't need to go match by no, match, it was but bad. we did see. But we did see Buddy Murphy's first WWE match against Apollo Cruz, and honestly, I thought business was picking up. I was entertained. It was getting really good, and then we did have Rowan come down to ringside and throw him into the steel steps and just decimate him. So, you know, I'll I'll make it easy for you. Hero zero to the end of that match. A hero, because it seems like it's a part of something larger. And if this, if they're going to use Buddy Murphy in that feud for a while to shine him back up, like if he can go over Rowan or something, or if this led to, hey, guess what? The reason why Rowan just attacked him is because Rowan and Daniel Bryan didn't actually do it, and we're going to find out who actually did. If that's the direction you'd want to go, that's great. They would have needed a tease tonight at the end of the show, like I argued, that that's where you're going. Okay, but you just crapped on uh, Murphy for looking like a dog when Roman got him to submit and give some information in 30 seconds on SmackDown. You just had Rowan come out and take a guy who had his first main roster match He's already trashed and just that moment. decimate him. This is my point. He's already trashed from that moment of backing down against Roman. He's already not a main eventer right now. When you could have, he's the best kept secret in WWE. You held him out of SmackDown for six months, you, which would tell you that they're doing something big for him. And then they have him punk out to Roman. So they've already screwed him up. 
But at least if you want to use him in making the storyline really good, that would have been fine. But again, they never touched it again. They buried that on this pre-show. This pre-show sucked. That women's tag title match was bad. I just don't know why they didn't have Murphy go over Cruz in a good match, give him three, four more minutes, have Murphy win, have him walk back up, or even not, have Rowan attack him in the ring and then decimate him. Why not give him the rub they don't know what they have. of getting a win over Apollo Cruz? They don't know what they have. The only one who seems to know what they have is Sasha the dog when it comes to Buddy Murphy and me. That's it. Okay? It seems to be it. All right, BC, let's get out of here on that. But I want to give a tease because te- our we have a busy week ahead. Our UFC show, your UFC show with Rashad Evans and Brandon Wise will be out Wednesday this week, which means our WWE show is not going to be until Thursday. So you guys are going to need to wait till Thursday for our full NXT TakeOver Toronto uh, review and our thoughts on NJPW G1 Climax 29. But before we get there, quick tease to leave, to leave. What was your rating on the NXT Championship, Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano, part three? Five stars. It's a five-star match straight up. It was incredible. It was incredible the ride they took us on to make all three of those stipulations and fall so different that they the biggest uphill problem they had was certainly making this third match on the level ratings wise and entertainment wise of the first two but also because it's two out of three falls for the second time making it new and fresh and not just going back to the well they succeeded i don't think i'm crazy in saying that this gargano cole feud three matches in four months was so great that it's in that upper upper pantheon now of the be- you know in the modern era of like the best in ring feuds that we've seen in terms of look it's not like a rock austin in terms of crossoverness and, and celebrities whatever but in ring quality i can't believe johnny gargano just stumbled into another classic like he did here he doesn't he's the like we have to wake up and realize that johnny gargano is the best big match wrestler in wwe like there's no big game john anymore big match john Johnny Gargano is that, and he's been that for two years now. And every match that it happens, I still get blown away because he's five foot nothing, a hundred nothing, and not that athletic and not that charismatic, and you know, like all that. Like he's like warning track power in every category, yet he puts it together and absolutely overachieves and hits a grand slam every match. This match I thought was not as good as the first Cole Gargano, a little bit better than the second, but really at this point. You know, if you just like uh, the the Champa feud with Gargano, you and I wildly different in terms of our ratings of which ones we like better. Doesn't matter; they're all great. Sure. Well, what I'll tell you is because this is just a tease, but uh, for me, it's clearly number three in the trilogy. And I watched it again last night, as I promised I would, because I was bordering five star. Uh, I'm I'm putting it just below. I, for me, it's 4.75, most likely. Great match. Left a lot to be desired for me. My expectations were sky high. Um, and ultimately, I don't feel it delivered to those expectations. And candidly, and we're, I'm, we're picking nits. We're splitting hairs, right? Takeover as a whole, that show, it was not one of my favorites. See, I, mean, I don't get that. You say that. It was that still great. It, it Dave was still Meltzer great. said that. I saw that on Twitter. I actually came out of that going, I'm not sure if that's not the best takeover I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's not. I mean, it's definitely not top three for me. So, But uh, but again, <laughs> it not being top three 
it's still crapped all over SummerSlam, and it's still one of the best shows in totality that WWE's put on in 2019. It's just there there have been better start to finish takeovers. We've been in attendance for them. New Orleans was epic, um, and I just can't having gone back and watched most of that card again. I can't put it at the upper echelon, the top, top, top of the NXT takeover uh, ranking. But that's because they have set the bar so damn high that any like one thing that's just a little bit off, you don't get there. there don't forget, Brian, there was a takeover. I forgot if it was two or three, but I think it had three five-star matches on it. This one did not. So it, simply based on that, it can't get there to that top one, top two, top three ranking for me. But it was a very good show. That match was very good. Just for me, not great. Well, 4.75 is a great match. I'm saying comparatively. That's 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 yeah. the funny thing. It's like, yes, I'm saying it's great, but comparative to the first two, it's not. It's very good. You know what I mean? So I, I, I you know, I thought it was the second best. It's just it captured so much emotion. And it did It was it, like New it was like New Haven pizza compared to New York pizza. <laughs> 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 On that note, that's it. Busy week ahead UFC 241. Check out the state of combat. For all that and more, oh, we're, we're on another week off for boxing. We will be back, of course. Business will pick up in a hurry, with a little, in a little bit of a lull at the moment. Uh, Silver King, that's it. The interview's over. SummerSlam in the books. Bed sheets, you know, still a little bit dirty. Semi soil. Next, you know what? Next year, next week, whatever, next month, whatever it is, um, takeovers are what matters. Hey, so WWE. We're not, we're not getting a takeover for another three months. It's up to you. It's up to you to. To let everybody realize what you have under the hood. Alright? It's the goods. It's the goods. That's it. It's over. I got nothing else. You, you good? You good? You good with this? You good? Say goodbye. Alright. That's it. Adios. We out.